You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. On today's episode, I get to interview Superintendent Wade Stanford from Westwood ISD in Palestine, Texas. All I can just tell you guys is this is an incredible interview. Wade is not just full of knowledge and experiences, he's vulnerable. He is literally leading the district from the highest position, but yet there are so many twists and turns of how Wade shares, not only is he vulnerable, but how he listens to other stakeholders, how he utilizes those processes in the districts, and not just with staff, even with students. There are so many takeaways that I have run out of things that I've just been writing down. I cannot wait for you to hear this interview with Wade. I'm hoping that when you listen to this, that we challenge ourselves as leaders in education to start to think different, but not only think different, but I'm hoping that those thoughts will turn into actions and that the thought platform that we start to use amongst ourselves will start to change. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am honored as our guest today. Uh, Wade, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks, Kevin, man. I am honored to join you today. Just excited to, to get in and, and talk about relationship-centered leadership and what that looks like. Oh, man, oh, you already got me excited. But before we can get into that conversation, Wade, we always start off with the GTKY flip five format. That is connections before content. So, Wade, I'll ask you five GTKY questions. You flip five back at me and we'll get a chance to know each other. All right. All right, well, Wade. All right, Wade. So when you think of your most comfortable pair of shoes, is it boots? Is it shoes? What What, what is your most comfortable pair of shoes that you have? My you most comfortable pair of shoes are ASIC workout shoes, cross trainer shoes, and, and they're stable. And I think there's a lot that says about life and that be, being stable and then they're flexible. They allow me the ability to lift, ride my bike, walk, whatever. And so I think when you talk about life and you talk about leadership, flexibility is a big piece too. So I think that's, those are my most comfortable shoes. Oh man, I love it. I, I will tell you, I'm a shoe fanatic. I probably have yeah. like 60 pairs of shoes. Seriously, yeah. not kidding. I anywhere from dress. I think the more I started traveling, the more you're on your feet, you realize you wanted something comfortable, as you said, flexible, comfortable that looks good and it can meet the, the expectations of the environment that you're in. So to me, you can never look past a really good, comfortable pair of shoes. You got you've got to have the shoes, man. That's what pulls off the outfit. <laughs> It is, because that's what some people start saying. They're always like, ooh, I like your shoes. So I'll, I'll move one layer up to that. Okay, Wade, because I am I know different people have different. Do you have a sock game? In other words, do you go to, do you do any, do you put any investment into your socks? In other words, well, the look of your socks. I do, and I wish I could show them to you right now. I got my shark <laughs> on today. Man, I knew I was coming into a, 
to a podcast and I knew I needed to be on my game. So I wore my <laughs> shark socks today. Oh my God. No, the only reason I say that is because it started reminding me is, is as you start presenting in front of people, they'd always say, I'd always either get comment about my shoes or if I had good socks on, they always, you know, and you, you want to slightly show your sock game off without being it too obvious, but it would be amazing. The comments I would get when we would sit down, oh, yeah. maybe in circle or something and you, your pants would come up a little bit. People would go, Ooh, I like those socks. And well, I'd say, you know, you know I, I need, you say right. that. Yeah. I was walking on campus the other day and a high school student said, Hey, Mr. Stanford, I love your socks, man. You got sock game, you know? And, and so uh, they see, saw it, you know, see, okay. So that right there, you get it. That's why I said, yeah. okay. Oh, I love it. All right. So Wade, not going shoes. We did shoes and socks. So let's just stick with sports. If you could watch one sport, what's your favorite sport to watch? Football. Me too. Coach football played football. It's just, I don't know what it is. It's really hard to explain to people yeah. what football brings out of people and what it, it, it it's it's yeah. a magical sport it really is and coached being for, in high school football yeah i coached it for 21 years and um you know we could do a whole podcast over what football <laughs> does what it builds what it reveals uh all those type of things you know it's just a, it's oh. an amazing sport yeah absolutely well i'll just say coach i completely understand that perspective it is it, it, it is part of my life. And, and, and really what really got me into education really was my teachers and my coaches. They gave me a different platform to realize like you could be shaped and molded as you said, and kind of who you're revealed. And I have to look back. And a lot of times I think athletics, I give a lot more credit to athletics and academics, but athletics just really on and off the field gave me so much more shape to my life. And I was glad to be able to do that. So if you look at your football team, are you a college, uh, NFL? High school. I mean, which one, which level of football do you prefer to watch? So I think I I probably prefer high school because I think it's pure. I think that that's the kids that love playing the game. They they love being out there, and I think they're really about team, and it's about a, a team effort. And um, and so I really love that. You know, I, I love the Dallas Cowboys, even in their lean years. I, I, I'm still there. You know, I grew up in the 70s watching them and Tom Landry and and all that. Just love that. Never really got attached to a college team. So I'm not this college fanatic that I'm going to go and watch Texas or A&M or, or anything like that. I, you know, I, I was fortunate to play college, small college ball, and uh, but not really got attached to that. But just watching our high school team, you know, the the tears when we win, the tears when we lose, oh. the parents and the cheerleaders and and the band and the drill team and all of those pieces are there. And it's just, I think it's why the game was invented, you know? And so it just takes uh. it back to those roots, you know? Wow. All I can tell you, Wade, is ditto. From the Cowboys fan, Tom Landry, 70s, uh, not necessarily a huge college fan. I know that I meet these college fanatic people yeah. that just love college football. I, I enjoy college football. Don't get me wrong. I watch some good highlights and a good game. And I, being from San Antonio, and I was, you know, I loved the Oilers kind of growing up, but I was definitely more of a Cowboys fan. But what's interesting is I kind of root for Texas in general. So if it's AM, if it's Texas, if it's TCU, I just want to see our state be represented well. But I could not put a better, oh my God, frame around high school football than what you just described. Because to me, when I travel outside of the state and I'm like, and I was a high school football coach, they said, is football really that big in Texas? That's why there's movies and books about it, because I cannot describe, as you said, when you're in a smaller town, the community shuts down. Oh, yeah. And it is all about that Friday night, yeah. right? 
So, so, so everything you said definitely resonates with me. So question number four, if I was coming, let's say I was coming in for lunch or dinner, where would you take me to eat? Well, we would go to Mario's uh, Mexican Grill. I don't know that there's anything on the menu that's not good, but (laughs) we would order their enchiladas or we would order, I call them their street tacos. They've got a different name for them, but they are a taco that they grill on the flat top. And, and so it is, it's just unbelievable. The beef tacos and, uh, and their sauce, their hot sauce and their chips, you know, we, we might not even get to the meal because of that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Well, you've already got me because I would tell you, you know, uh, being from San Antonio and just being in Texas, I mean, we, 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 we take pride in our food. Oh, yes. So when you describe that, that's why I always like to ask, you know, and it's interesting because when I interview people from other states, you know, <laughs> you get a, you know, different ideas. But what you just described is the perfect like if somebody was coming to Texas, doesn't matter where, what you just described is this is what you're going to get when you come to our state. Yeah. And so thinking of, of states, if you've traveled much out, what's another state or another place that you've traveled to that really left an impression on you? Well, several years ago, Marlon and I, that's my wife, and I went to Washington, D.C. and during Christmas. And okay, that was just amazing to walk and to, and it was the second time I'd been to DC, but to go and to literally walk in areas where you're saying our forefathers walked. This is the place where history was made. And to see the documents, to to just really get that experience, just unbelievable. And so I think that that was a place, it's a place that we want to go and take our grandkids. We want to do that type thing, you know, just a, just a neat piece. And you know, we talk food. So we had lots of opportunities <laughs> to eat some great food there too. And so they 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 have a good food game in, in DC, I can just tell you. Okay, good. Well, that's always important. And that's one place I have not been. Wait, oh, wow. I've never been there. So no, no, no. So I'm so glad that I asked that question because you've put some texture and some layers to it for a lot of variety of different reasons. So it is definitely going to be something that I'm going to put uh, on on my list to make sure whether I get there professionally, who cares, but personally, I could definitely make a trip to DC and see what it's about. Yeah. All right, brother, that was five. You got five to flip back at me. You bet. All right, here we go. Number one, when you look at the cup, is the cup half full or is the cup half empty? Oh, it's always half full. I'm much later in life. I am much more of a positive person. And for me, I listen to positive things. I'm always trying to see the cup half full. If for some reason, I am far from perfect way, but if for some reason, if I am in the mindset, which what will happen during the pandemic, because schools kind of got closed down and we, mm-hmm. we, I even, I never questioned our why, but I went, I questioned our, our purpose. Like, are we still going to get back into schools? And when that was it, I'm blessed to have a great team of people that are there to remind me, no, 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 no. It, 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 it's, it's half full. And so to me, whether it, whether in there's times when I can't see it to have that support of your friends and families and cohort around you to be able to do that, man, that is something that I never take for granted. And I am such, I'm so blessed to be able to have those perspectives surrounding me in case I ever do lose that perspective. 
Man, you know, and, and you talked about the similarities we had when I answered the questions. I'm starting to wonder if maybe we're kin because uh, <laughs> the, the the half full aspect and being positive and seeing those things drifting off into a half empty type mentality from time. I think we all do that. But then being surrounded with that team that reminds us, man, that that resonates. That resonates. OK, Good. a Texas piece, chili with beans or without beans. Uh, I'm gonna, I don't know if I'm with, I'm a with beans yeah, and I don't yeah. know if that's a Texas thing or not. I'll be honest. I'm not a chili yeah. connoisseur, but I just, I tend to have a little bit, uh, more heartier part of chili when I, when I feel like it's got a really good bean mix. In fact, when I've made it now I'm far from, I don't win chili contests, but when I've made it, when I've made it, I've literally put like three or four kinds of beans in it. I like, yeah. I, I just feel like it, it, it adds so much to it, but to me, yeah, it's always, I'm always drawn to more with beans than without. Yeah, so we vary a little bit. I cook mine without, but I've got to have it in there. But there's got to be a good bean chili ratio. Yes. Uh, no, the ratio. Beans. Yeah. Yes. No, no, no. Yeah. That's that part. I would definitely agree on you there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Third question. What teacher had the biggest impact on you and why? Oh, I did a little shout out to her at the time. She's married now. Um, her name was Miss Bagby. If you ask me to say why... It was the first time that I ever felt like I was valued, seen, and heard in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Wow! In in a way, in in a way, but she also instilled in me like she believed in me more than I believed in myself, and she also let me work with younger students if I finished my work efficiently and effectively. And so it was the first time that I said, "Is this what it's like to be a teacher when you help them?" like with their spelling or their handwriting or whatever. And she said, yeah, it was the first time this, the bug of of the planting of the seed of like, what does it feel like to teach somebody else? And to me, she was almost like a, 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 just another motherly figure. I still remember her little red RX seven, little, little car that she would drive. I remember I'd still leave her, leave her in the parking lot and waving to her like, I don't know what it was about her, but that woman just literally almost like a second mother. I don't, and I did a little quick episode when we did shout outs to teachers. I sent a message to her. I still have not heard back from her and that's okay. But my point was, is I don't know if to still to this day, if she has an idea at 51 years old, how much of an impact she had on me. Yeah. So what I heard in that, and I think it's, it's uh, two V's that I think, are so, so important in the classroom, voice and authentic voice. And those are so important when we, we talk about classroom and instruction and relationships. And so then, and you said you've sent a shout out to her. Here's my challenge to you. Okay. Reach out to her, tell her. I had the opportunity to tell mine face to face. All right, Wade, we are up to question number four, sir. Yes, sir. And so we're going to go back, Kevin, and take you back to your coaching days. And so I want you to reflect when you were coaching. So you can only coach one side of the ball. Which side is it going to be, offense or defense? Oh, man. Uh, That's a tough one because I finished my career as an offense coordinator, but I started more on the defensive side. Believe it or not, I would rather call defense. To me, uh, the schemes, the, I love playing defense, not just personally, but I think sometimes uh, as much as I love scoring, I love stopping them. 
I love really coming up with those opportunities. And, and there's a different mentality of, of going down to score versus you getting your defense to stop them. So I think if I had to choose one right now, I think it would be defensive side of the ball. Yeah, man, that, that, that resonates with me because I did offense as offense coordinator, defense coordinator was a head football coach at, at some point in time. And, and so I, that piece of being on defense, that's the side I would have picked because you get to bring it to them. And yes. Team and you get to figure out how you can stop them. We had a philosophy that if they didn't score any, we didn't have to score many. And so that's a piece that that I would have done. All right. Yeah. Last question. On a roller coaster, you're riding the roller coaster and you get to pick where you want to be. Are you in the front car, the middle car or the back car? Well, that's what's so funny is you just gave me a decision. I'm not riding the roller coaster. So let's <laughs> start right there, Wade. No, no, no. And it's so funny you said that because we were watching something the other day about bungee jumping from the stratosphere in Vegas and all this stuff. I said, look, look, like I don't enjoy heights and I don't enjoy rides like that that move around so much that leave me disoriented. Now, there was one time earlier, I remember in my 20s when I was dating somebody, I would got on a roller coaster just because you needed to. At this point, I don't need to anymore. Yeah. And so I'm not picking any seat. I'm picking the ground wall watching anyone else that I'm with ride those seats. But uh, if, if I, if I had the gumption to get back on one of those things or a reason, I would probably pick the middle and, and I, well, I've always felt like the back, just, you get a different feel in the back. I, so I have ridden in three, but if I had to pick one and I was forced by, by like gunpoint to get on a roller coaster, I think I'd pick the middle. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's good. That, that's a, uh... That's good. Uh, I think it, I think every one of those tells us a little bit about ourselves, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, so it, it, it helps a little bit there. That's good. Well, it's a good question, but I would say, I think what it exposes for me is, is at one time, I think maturity is sometimes wisdom. I'm just like, yes. I don't need to anymore. I, yeah. I have no one to impress. And if yeah. it does not leave me, if I leaves me dizzy and disoriented, I get a little motion sickness sometimes from him. It just depends. But if it doesn't leave me feeling good, then I'm like, why am I doing it? Like I'm yeah. too, I'm at this point in my age where I may have been in my twenties going, yeah, let's just do it. Sounds fun. Now I'm like, no, doesn't even sound yeah. fun. Uh, yeah. I, I tried to impress my kids once uh, at Six Flags and rode one that went forward and then went backwards. And I ended up laying on the table for about 30 minutes trying to recover. And that was the last time I ever tried to impress my kids. It wasn't a good impression. I don't. I was about to say the impression. The impression is dad can't handle it. So yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I, I I know my limitations. Well, Wade, I, I oh my God, thoroughly enjoyed the the intentionality and the thoughts of your GTKY questions. So that is our get to know you section. Hey, that is representing connections before content. So as our listeners, you know that's what we want you to do in the classroom or as you're working with your staffs. Uh, try to build in those connections before content. It gives you a great way now. If you're looking for more resources or how to even connect with us, head over to rclfirst.com. Believe it or not, we actually uh, just opened up a second certified specialist in restorative practices, Wade. Um, it, it sold out in Austin at 120, and we had just opened up one June 17th to the 19th. And we just had a school yesterday call taking 11 spots. And so we know wow. this is just another great opportunity to get together in person. I know it's three days. It's Austin, Texas. But I will tell you, if you've never, if and this is not for you just wait but if people have never been to our trainings it's not just a sit and get experience the small group facilitators that we bring in these these educators that are experienced with these tools you get to unpack you get to hear somebody either myself or alan or one of my presenters unpack this then you get to experience 
the content in a small group. You get to learn how to do it. You get to learn how to jack it up in front of people that you can learn to trust because you're also building community with this little group and you're going back and forth. And if you imagine going back and forth with the same group, not just for one day, for two days, but for three days, by the end, it's a flipping family and they, they don't want to leave. And that's what's so interesting. I, I have never watched, observed, People at the end of three days of professional development, we'll call it that, it's an, as an experience, they don't want to leave because it has been such an impactful community building while they're learning, while they're unpacking. And so it's those different layers. And so I just say that because most people don't know what to expect when they attend this three-day training. It's hard to bottle it. It's hard to put it on a flyer. But once they do, they come at it. They're like, I had no idea. And I'm like, I, yeah. and I still today, just day describing it way for people. I still don't know how to describe it because it is hard to put into words the experience that they get versus the regular PD. And let me tell you what I heard. Okay. Uh, I think number one, that you've got quality content that's transformational, that's, mm. uh, that's transforming people that gives them the opportunity to to transform not only their lives, but kids' lives and their and the um, the culture of their campus and their district. And I think restorative practices is a piece. Uh, matter of fact, we talked a little bit about it in our district, just kicking that around a little bit. So I think that's a that content is really important. But then I think when you talk about relationships, connections, it's obvious that you live that and you're passionate about that. And so. I think that draws people because coming back face to face is so huge right now. I've had the opportunity to to attend a couple of conferences and it's been just it's been unbelievable just being with people in that connection. So I think you got two things there. I think you got great content and you got the belief and passion that you that it's obvious that you live every day. Well, appreciate it. And that's, uh, I, it's so funny because if I have a conversation with a stranger or somebody for the first time or somebody I've known, they always say you're, you're, you light up. And they're they're, they're yeah. like your whole energy changes when yeah. you talk about it. And yeah. I said, I don't even realize it, but it, it does. It, it it is definitely a spark for my spark plug. And you know, we talked about this morning, just you know, it's like throwing butter in the pan. It just greases everything for me in my life. It gives me a vision. It gives me a purpose. But I'm really proud. There's another P. I'm very proud of the, as you said, the transformation that we're allowing educators. Cause the one thing I learned Wade is I don't force. And I think that I had to learn this early coming into trying to work with adults. I couldn't come in and force them. So I try to tell them our goal is not to convert, convince or condemn. So mm -hmm. we make that very clear at the very beginning. Our goal is to simply educate, motivate, but convict. I'm really speaking to your heart. And yeah, I did a quick episode about head, heart, hands. We're speaking to your mind. We're speaking to your heart, but we're giving you tools. And it's somehow in the combination of those three pieces in the right amount that leaves people feeling not only transformed, but confident, like I could do this. Yeah. And so I think, it, I think another word that goes in there is empowered as you talk about that that they're they're empowered because of that because i think what you did is something that i believe very strongly in, in leadership is i can't force people to do certain things i can't force them to believe a certain way i can't force them to lead in a certain way or to to do what we're doing and i and i and i coach our, our young leaders to uh to let things come to them to let the conversations come let the event come let the person realize it let the person experience it and 
get there. And when they do, it's authentic, it's deep, it's driven from internal mm. instead of an external piece. I think a lot of leaders try to lead externally instead of internally. And so it's a it's a it's a mandate, it's from top down, it's a compliance model. And and it lasts for a short term, but it won't last long term. So there's no sustainability in that. And so when when I listened to you about this and and quite honestly, as you started talking about it, I got amped up because I'm sitting there like, you know, we talked about defense. Well, I was ready to go hit somebody and run through a wall <laughs> as you're talking because because it does you, you, your energy uh, that comes with it. We know that that's passion. And, um, and so I think that as you do it and that conviction piece right. is the part that causes people to move from their heart right. instead of moving from their head or moving from a demand. And when we move from our heart, we have a chance to change the world. Well said. Yeah, I, I've learned you, you mentioned compliance because when we get adults and kids to move out of fear or compliance, I think I think we all recognize that is temporary. It, it yeah. is a temporary change. It's not sustainable. And the one thing I think I learned you had mentioned this word, so it triggered me, was that sustainability, because I think we can get temporary change, personally, professionally, in our relationships, in our work. If I want our work to leave the ripple effect for the past my lifetime, then sustainability, and only way that that's going to happen is with intentionality. You always say, without intentionality, there is no sustainability. So I always say, you can't wing relationships. Now, some people are gifted, Wade, that just have it, like Denise or someone on my team. And that's why I I resonate with them because they don't have to struggle. But Joe Beckman said on the very first episode of this podcast, man, Kevin, not everybody can be me or everybody can be you. So when they can't, they're stuck because education portrays them as needing to be extraordinary, but it's yet when they're ordinary, they make the, the the greatest moments of genuine connection. And how do we, so as you sit in a superintendent's position, I just mentioned to you this, even off the recording, I see you Wade as such an ordinary person. And I say that with all respect, because yeah. the way you have portrayed yourself, if I didn't know your title, I didn't know what your experiences are. I would say, Wade is just a heck of a great guy. I don't even know what he does for a living, nor care what he does. But I will tell you to hear, and as I mentioned this, to hear and to have these conversations and to be able to come back two times in a row thinking your schedule, a superintendent that's, that portrays authentically that you're just this ordinary person, I think it's powerful. What are your thoughts when you when you hear it? Well, that? number one, I, I appreciate that. And there's a piece that the reality, as you talked about, just the an ordinary guy. I actually take that as a compliment because that's what I am. And I, I tell, I tell our staff all the time, I'm just, I'm one of them. I'm just a, 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 a guy that knows how to work hard, uh, that loves people and loves what he does. And I just happen to have the title of superintendent and, and it means nothing. It just means nothing other than a lot of things stop with me. And a lot of things allegedly start with me. We flip that uh, a lot in our districts. I try not to let anything really, I, I try to limit how much starts with me. But I think when you're, when you're talking about leadership and you're talking about what I believe in leadership, you better be ordinary. You better remember where you came from. You better remember what it was like to sit in that chair. I'm, I'm blessed that I had the opportunity to start out as a, uh, a teacher and, um, and a coach in Oklahoma and um, finished up school there, went and started there, and then transitioned back into Texas. And 
and did that and went from that to an athletic director to an assistant principal, from an assistant principal to a high school principal, then to a director of HR, assistant superintendent, now superintendent. And I kid with people that I, I've done everything in the business except serve food and cook in a kitchen. But I do cook burgers for our staff every spring. And, and so I do that over about four or five days. And so I, I can cook a pretty good burger. But I think that that's the ordinary piece because if I can remember what it was like to be in that classroom and for somebody to make a decision that was disconnected and say, this is what you have to do and, and not have a clue the impact. And so we try that. We try to connect to that. And then when we have to make that hard decision, I think there's a piece that if you're, if authentically, if you're leading from that, that you go and you sit down with those stakeholders and you say, hey, I know this is going to be tough, but here's why we have to do that. So, because I think people want to know why that you do things. Well, yeah, I think from your seat to think about when you're an assistant principal, how many times the teachers and the stakeholders just want to know, well, what was your thought process when you were dealing with a simple referral? And, and yeah. I think the reason I say that way it is, is because there are, there are many, and I say M-A-N-Y, and then there's tiny M-I-N-I breakdowns of just simply oh. feedback loops of yeah. communication that, yeah. that I come into schools and they're like, well, we have no idea what the APs do. And I'm like, but okay, that's a problem. In like that's a huge problem. In in some some schools know how to address it, and some schools are still struggling with it. But for example, if you try to take a more relate, here's here's a perfect example. If you try to bring our tools in and take a more relational approach to dealing with behavior and discipline, but you have no proactive nor feedback communication so that those educators on the campus can understand what that looks like, sounds like, feels like, participate, any of that, then you're doing something in the dark. And, th and the reason I say this, this is how we piloted restorative practices at Ed White. We kicked the door down and we said, this is what we're doing. There was no voices, no stakeholders. So I'm not, I'm not critiquing, I'm also coaching what yeah. sometimes what not to do. We kicked it down. We said, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And, and the one thing is we did it just at sixth grade. So the rest of the campus, we could scaffold into it. So there were yeah. some positives. But then we taught the teachers how to proactively do these community building circles. But then Wade, the primarily of the heavy work was on me as the one assistant principal in one grade level doing something that nobody else was doing. And I was expected to do it behind closed doors in my office or in this room and have these conversations of accountability and repairing harm. And what I learned is if the stakeholders don't know what that conversation looks, sounds like, and feels like, then and then that kid leaves and they walk out, all they see is the reality. Kid went in, conversation happened, kid comes right. out. I don't see them in in-school suspension. I don't see them you know, suspended. We easily recall the apology program or the hug a thug, right? You just get our thugs and then you hug them and then you love on them and then yeah. you, you just kick them back out. And I tried to explain to them there's a lot more involved, but I couldn't see it at the moment. But boy, when I bring it to schools now and you talk about that transparency, hey, can I tell you, can I tell you where we're at? Can I tell you where we're struggling? Can and, and without them being a part of the process, I think you end up like shooting yourself in the foot because it can be as impactful. Wait, you can have the most impactful conversation in your office. And if it doesn't transcend into 
communication to the other staff holders and st stakeholders, then then to then it might as well not happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that that is spot on. And uh, as you were talking about that piece, I thought about the assistant principal job that I took, moved from an athletic director to assistant principal on the same campus. And the first thing I heard, there's no communication. We don't know what's happening. We send a kid down and we have no clue. <laughs> and I did one, and, and I love what you're talking about. And I actually reflected as you were talking and I'm sitting there going, I could have done better. But what I did was, so they, we had those uh, discipline referrals that had multiple copies. And so when I had the conversations with the with the students and then we decided on what the consequences were going to be, I put that in the teacher's boxes and you would have thought I was God. You would have thought that I had solved every problem they had just because they knew something had been done. Whether they liked it or didn't like it, they thought something was being done. And it was. And then we talked to our teachers all the time as the principal and assistant principal that discipline consequences and discipline will not change behavior, but just the consequence alone will not change behavior. It's again, it's a, a short-term fix and it will stop it for today. But through practices of reflection, through practices of deciding who and what and, and how they did that and how they can keep that from happening again is where we started making changes. And, uh, and I did a little bit of that uh, closing that loop with the with the staff. I wish I had uh, met you earlier. I wish that I had done a lot of what you were just talking about that transparency piece because I think it would have been much more effective. Oh no, I and, and <laughs> that's why I tell people all the time I'm not an expert. I've been jacking this up for years because yeah. it, it it that's how that's how we become an expert. And I'll tell people all the time. I say, man, I can tell you ten thousand ways not to do this. <laughs> yes. I haven't found the right one yet, but right. don't do this, this, and this, because I've done that and it didn't work. Well, and so like, for example, you just mentioned, so our consultants with the UT had come back and said, and this was nice because I want to talk about that exchange program, but we, our consultants were doing anonymous surveys with our staff. And so in, and actually interviews like weekly interviews, uh, and it's so funny. I look back, they were doing some type of zoom interview and they would sit in a room on their conferences and those ladies would be on the, on the computer. And it, it, the feed, here's the feedback way came back that said the lack of documentation and formalness surrounding these reflective restorative conversations is creating a gap in communication between you and the staff on the efficiency and effect effectiveness of these tools. So the second semester, we simply put in this tool. Now, it's interesting is it, and it, it is a simple tool and we use it now in our practices with NEDRP, but it's just simply like, okay, what's happening? Who's, what, what, we're recording this conversation and there's signatures and all this stuff. So there's a form of accountability, but I laugh because we didn't change the structure of the reflection, the conversation, the accountability, the possible consequence way. We didn't change anything we did. We simply took that same information, recorded it on a more structured with signatures and put a copy in their box. And as you said, ah, the, like it's like the golden arches of McDonald's. Like they just lit up and all of a sudden people are like, now they're doing something. And I, and I laugh because, yes, we were recording it and you were getting a copy of it. But 90 percent of the conversation of what we were doing was exactly what yeah. we were doing when you thought nothing was happening. 
But now you really think something's happening by the way we simply documented it and communicated it. Does yeah, that make sense? So think, yeah, it does. And, and, and so I think that can be extended to everything that we do, that we, we're doing great work in education, but nobody knows what we're doing. Well nobody said. knows because we're not communicating it out. We're not telling our story, whether that's telling our story on the campus, in the district, in the community, across the state, across the nation. And so it's the piece of inclusion. Uh, people want to be included in that. They want a voice. They want a, a seat at the table. And that I don't think they all want the decision making. They just want to be a part of it. They want to be able to be heard. And so I think that's a piece that as we as we think about implementation, as we think about leadership, that that people want to be part of it. I told our uh, the very first talk I had with our staff uh, five years ago, uh, went from campus to campus and I told them, I said, listen, I said, I know we've got we've got things that we need to do better. I know there's things that we've got to that we've got to improve. And there's things that we probably need to change. And there's things that we need to keep. And I said, and, you know, you know exactly what we need to do. I don't. And so if I can get the right people at the table, we'll make progress. If I don't get the right people at the table and I try to do it all myself, we won't. And so we've tried to be an inclusive piece where we collaborate and, and involve people in those decision-making uh, processes and the, the implementation so that we have the smartest people at the table. And the superintendent is not the smartest person. That teacher that's doing it, that's gonna implement it in the classroom is the smartest person. That bus driver that's gonna do it, that custodian, that principal, that assistant principal, they're gonna be the smartest people because they know what it's gonna to take to do that. They know the barriers that they're seeing on a day-to-day -day basis. And so they wanna be part of that. And then, you know, we talk a, a, quite a bit in our, in our district about collaboration. People talk about that they collaborate, they bring people to the table to make a decision. Most of the time, what they do when they collaborate is they do this. They come in and say, hey, here's my thoughts. What do y'all think about this? Tell me if you like it or don't like it. Okay. That's, that's what they call collaboration. Collaboration is coming in and saying, hey, here's our suffering. This is what we're suffering with. And I want you to be a part of that suffering. I want you to look at it with empathy. I want you to look at it with care and concern. And it's going to impact all of us. Here's my thoughts on it. Now let's sit down and let's all figure out what the best approach is. And I tell them all the time, it doesn't have to be my approach. It has to be our approach. Yeah. I, I was taught sometimes, and in, in, I don't know, and in, in then I, I definitely want to segue into the exchange program because I think yeah. this is a platform. I was taught, I'm not always good at it, but I was taught sometimes the best leaders should always speak last instead yeah, of first. That's so true. So there's, there's like when we have our uh, team meetings, whether it be our cabinet, whether it be our principal, assistant principal, our uh, what we call a team or administrative team, our 15 member team, I typically pose a question and I shut my mouth and I let them talk. Well, it's so funny because even in my world, right, we're still a team where, you know, we still have leaders. And so there's a lot of times um, when we're in Zoom meetings because of our different spaces, I just sit back and listen. And I literally, um, as I joke on the show, sometimes I have to sit back from the mic or I'll interrupt my guest. I will literally mute myself because, you know, the reason I say this is, is I do not have, I'm very humble in my position, but a lot of people will be wondering, well, Kevin, you're at the top. What, what are your thoughts? Right. And I think they have learned 
I, that's why I always tell them, I just want to be the rubber stamper. Let me hear everything. Yeah. I, I don't have to make all the decisions. And a lot of times I'll just click on and say, sounds good to me. Or, you know, whatever direction y'all need to go in, I completely trust you. And then just click off. And it's so crazy because I could see and I understand because I've been in that assistant coach role where you want your head coach's approval and you want that. I've been there in the room when you want whoever is in senior leadership, you're wanting to get that approval from them. But I think sometimes letting them know, and and I think is what we're, when we talk about this exchange part where you you can share their voice, I think it starts to give a new footing to not just buying in, but to realize I am a stakeholder now and I'm not just a, a supportive voice and you're ultimately going to make the decision no, we're making the decision. And sometimes I don't even necessarily have to be a part of that. I, I could just be at the table. And I think yeah. that uncomfortableness is something that we have to be comfortable with. Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. And, and so we've shifted from buy-in to ownership. Because when we talk about buy-in, it's like an action that you have to take. Like, I want you to buy into what I believe. I want you to buy into this. I want you to... to 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 come with me. And so we've shifted it to ownership. And ownership is, man, it's mine. It's mine. And I think that you've created this. We work hard at creating this is a safe environment to put thoughts out that may actually just suck. That <laughs> yes. may not be very good. And uh and and not be condemned because of that thought. Because what we found is somebody puts a thought out that really wasn't a good thought, but it starts the conversation that leads to the best thought mm. because we got started. And I'll tell you the other thing that we're finding is that when we bring people that aren't close to the problem, they tend to see the best solution. We get blinded when we're close to the problem. Mm. And so when we bring a person that has no connection to that, they're sitting back and they're going, well, what if you did this or that? And we're going, I wish I'd have thought of that because it's so clear to them because they're so far removed from it. And as leaders, we can get so locked in to what we've done in the past and what we think has worked that we never see that other, that other piece. And I, and I do think it's powerful to continue gathering voices, to gather thoughts, to gather ideals and to do it in a, um, an environment that allows them freedom to to say it without the thought that you as the leader or somebody their colleague is going to look at them and that's where you were you were leading into the thought exchange piece that we're using uh that's where that allows that 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 total voice where nobody even knows who it is is saying it and there's so much freedom that they have in that when they when they share when they share those thoughts Okay, so you and I had this conversation off air. So let's let's take. I want to I want to use the two examples. Let's start with the adults, and then we'll finish with the student one. So with the adults, okay, the and I'm sorry, it's called the thought. It's, so it's it's called thought exchange. Thought exchange, uh, and it's a platform. It is a platform, and you you have to purchase it, and it's a platform. What it allows you to do, Kevin, is it allows you to build an open ended question and put it out there. You can either run it live. So it's so you go on to the platform, you go on to it's web based. And so you go on 
to, to that platform. And you can put that that open-ended question and you run it live where you're sitting right there with them when they're doing it. You show it up on the screen and, and everybody can see it as, a, as somebody puts a thought in, it pops up on the screen. Or you can just send it out. Like we send it out on Parent Square, Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on those different things and ask our community to, to get involved or our staff to get involved. So you put that open-ended question out there and then you, me, can go in and type in as many thoughts as we have and then it, it puts those thoughts into what is called the exchange. And then when you're finished putting your thoughts in, you have the opportunity to go in and read everybody else's thoughts and rate those from one to five on how they resonate with you. And then the most popular, the, most, the highest rated thoughts will gravitate to the top. The artificial intelligence in the background takes it to the top. And so then you get that piece that one of our principals says, I don't have to go back and look at all this data. I went in and listened to them and I wrote all their thoughts down and then I got to go and figure out which ones are the best thoughts. It tells you which ones are the best thoughts. And so let's start with our staff. I did one with our staff. And so we knew that it's been a tough year. This has been hard that they've been under a lot of pressure. And so towards the end of the school year, I went into each campus and um, and I ran an exchange with each campus. And, I, and this was the open-ended question that I put out. What do you need from me? That was it. What do you need from me? And I, I put out, you know, it's been a long year. It's been hard. Uh, you haven't had much time to think about yourself. You, you've been pouring into other people's lives and all that. But I want you to step back. I want you to think about yourself. And then I said, what do you need from me? And man, we had unbelievable. We had all the way from a pay raise to we need teachers to start caring. We need teachers to really engage with their kids. I need you to start coming on our campus more because you haven't been coming on the campus like you need to, which was absolutely true. And and, and it hurt when I read it, but here's the reason it hurt because it was true. Mm. It didn't hurt because I didn't like it. It didn't <laughs> hurt because somebody was trying to attack me. It hurt because I'm sitting there going, now they're right. And um, and we we heard, you know, this administration this administration needs to be more visible, this and that. And so it was this environment in which they felt very comfortable putting these things out. And then probably the top six out of ten were all about pay. So as a district, we're committed right now as we start preparing our budget to find out how we can have a pay increase for every staff member across the district. You know, no way. Yes. Interesting is because there, there's a there's so many layers to that process besides the AI and the software. Right. Yeah. One, you had to put a frame around it Two, It came from you and not somebody else underneath you in between them. Yeah. Three th- there in order. And my, I'm going to use my words here. If I was thinking about how I could honestly answer this. They, one, have to know that this is anonymous. Number two, they have to trust and believe that whoever, a.k.a. you, will be listening this and take this to heart and will be vulnerable enough to potentially own it and actually use this platform and this process for what it was designed to do was to create some type of change based on their voices and input as stakeholders. In other words, let's just, the reason I'm saying this out loud, 
if the first time you do this, I'm always curious if we're a little apprehensive to think like, okay, is this one more thing we're just doing just to do it? Or is he or she, and I'm not using, I'm just using anyone in general, Wade, who's in leadership goes, or is just he or she just doing this to like a facade of making us feel like we're heard. But And the reason I say that is whether it's a survey, whether it's the exchange platform, yes, there are a lot of different ways to collect their voices. But if you truly want to make them feel valued, seen, and heard, it's what you do with yeah. their voices. Does so that make it, sense? It's, it's, yeah. So it makes great. So it's closing that loop. It's okay. no different. We talked about as, as administrators, we had to close the loop on discipline. We have to close the loop on this. And so you have to let them know you heard. So what did I, the reason I did it face-to-face, and, and I do think there's a piece of vulnerability, a piece of authentic that I've spent five years developing. And, and so they, I think they trusted, as obvious as I looked at their, their answers, they trusted <laughs> that this wasn't just going to be something they were doing. But what I did when, when we set a time frame like 10 minutes that we were going to take it, and we left it open after that, but we, we spent 10 minutes in the room doing it. And so then I said, okay, everybody close your device, everybody pay attention, except on the screen. I went through the top 10 and I've talked about the top 10. Okay. So it, no, You're, thank you for clarifying. No, hold on. The reason I say this way is thank you for clarifying because I, you, you and I had said this before, this was much different than just emailing something out and saying answer. Yeah. So I want to set this. So yeah. what, when I describe like, it's got to be authentic and real, one of the strategies that I hear that you that you took as an extra step further, you didn't just send this out to your staff. You oh. came down and said, Hey, I am right here in front of you. Yes. I need to know what you need. Here's how we're going to collect your information. And then as it boom, 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 pops to the top, let me start having a conversation right here. Okay. And yeah, right we here. had conversation. Yeah. So when you do that, <clears throat> sorry, Wade, that just, I mean, that just sends a huge message of vulnerability, authenticity, and ownership and responsibility. And I'm right here. I'm not running yeah. from it. I'm not going to come yeah. back to my office and think about it. We're going to have a conversation. To me, yeah. just, just, oh, wait, man, I wish I could, like I said, I want to, I want to wrap you up and duplicate you and put you in about a billion schools because I, what it's that emoji mind blown because this is not, and I say this for my POV people, this is not my general perception and perspective of how not just leaders, superintendents typically, and I use the word typically, with all respect, handle this business like this, Wade. And so to me, it just speaks volumes to not that, as you said, not the title that you created to the person that you created that just sits with that title. I think that says a lot about the culture that you've created and the trust that you created with your staff over the five years. Again, I, I appreciate that. And, and I think it's just remembering where I came from. It's yeah. remembering I was one of those guys. I was one that was slaving in that classroom, teaching uh, four or five, six sections of biology and coaching and doing all of that and, and driving the bus on Friday nights and, and you know, and listening to all that, and trying to remember that. Uh, but yeah, you know, that that piece. And, 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 and so I, I talk to our staff, our leadership team all the time. Man, you got to take chances. You got to go out there. You got to you got to put yourself out there 
And 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 they looked at me when I said I was going to do this, and they said, "Well, you don't know what they're going to say." And I said, "No, I don't." <laughs> but I said, "But I said, here's what I'm going to tell you, and this is what the people at Thought Exchange will tell you, and they're absolutely right. They're saying it behind our backs right now. Oh, heck yeah, they're saying it. So why don't I just go ahead and hear it and address it? And so it's either like I said when I looked up there, and and pay was the number one, the number two, the number three thoughts." I said, you know, you're absolutely right. And so for in four different times, I said, we are 100% committed to a pay increase this next year. Write it down right now. I'm telling you, you will have a pay increase. I think I know what it's going to be. I don't know. I, I'm not far enough along to tell you, but right. you will have. And so there's that. And then there's, then you, you look at one that says we need, and I'm trying to remember exactly how it's worded. We need teachers that are going to be committed and are going to have a high level instruction on our about the power in that, Kevin, that they put that thought out there to their colleagues who they knew were going to see that. Right. Now it's no longer an administrator telling a colleague or a teacher to right. do it. You got a teacher telling a teacher. We think that's power. We think now we've got that ownership. And so we said, so I talked about that and I said, so we've got some work to do. We got some things to do. And I said, so now I'm going to encourage the campus principal to do an exchange when they come back and say, what does high level instruction look like on this campus? Hmm. Now imagine the power when teachers start giving you the formula for high level instruction on your campus. Yeah. I, what about, oh, you don't even have to think about it. You don't even have to define it. They're going to let your staff define it. Yeah. And, and the and the self ownership of saying there you that's go. A, that's us that's us right yeah. there on the screen like that's, that and when, they, and when they don't do it <laughs> that's what y'all said you wanted oh wait you, you you're speaking that language that that little niche right there that little that level is what I love because somehow in this work I have become really above proficient at using other people's words against them. And yeah. and and when we establish a, for example, in the classroom, if we do a proactive treatment agreement, if it's it's just a social contract of how we're going to treat the students, how the students treat each other, how the mm -hmm. students treat the adults, and how the adults yeah. are going to treat the students. Well, we do that proactively, and yeah. and my teachers don't understand. Yes, it yeah. they go through kind of like a thought exchange, and they get collected so, and they put it up so there, they, right? So you can do that in the classroom, it's like right. a teacher it, run an exchange in the classroom and say. How are we going to act in this classroom? To third grade, I had third graders typing in when we did students. What is the most? Uh, what could the district do that would make summer learning so fun that you couldn't stay away? Okay, and that's the question you pose to these third graders. Yeah, so I did from third grade to twelfth grade, and okay. third graders are typing in. We had an elementary kid said, "Go see," and this is the exact way they said it. Go see the go visit the elders to make sure they're okay. Now they meant the elderly, yes. but they, that was what they said would make summer so fun. Students' voices and choices sometimes will blow us away yeah. if, if we just included them as stakeholders and, and put yeah. some value into what they, what they really want to need out of their own education. So your vulnerability of just asking them, Wade, right then and there is a huge step because that's not what most people do. Yeah. What, what were so some of the it, other takeaways from the students? So, so they, they wanted field trips. 
This is what our high school, number one response from our high school stuff, teach us real world stuff because we're fixing to enter the world and we don't know how to change a tire, how to balance a checkbook, how to do this, how to do that. So what are we doing this summer? We're doing those things. So I've ch- and I've shared every bit of that with the principals and we sat down and we had about a two hour meeting and we said, now, how are we going to do that? How are we going to get this done? So we're not just doing summer school to recover credits. <clears throat> we're doing an enrichment that says, this is what you wanted. Then we're going to do that. Uh, elementary, we want a, um, we want to have, I could go to a water park or do a water balloon fight or have slides. So the elementary principal did that at the very end of the year, did that as a celebration. It's not part of the summer, but she said, that's what they want. So she did it. Now that's student voice right there. Well, wow. You know, it's way it is, man, we said this, we're kind of kindred spirits. My God, what you are describing when you just described this whole kind of process between the adults and particularly the students, mm-hmm. when we talk about intentionality, yes. we talk about, you know, we can't, like you said earlier, we can't consequence our way back to the better behavior and we can't wing instruction and hope that it just gets better. There has to be some intentional, purposeful plans put into place, but they can't just be, and I use this word plans. They can't just be something that you found on the internet or another teacher, another district was doing, because to me, I am a huge proponent of any implementation of anything that's like differentiation because every campus is different. Yeah. So when I, you know, imagine way when I get a call from a school district, from a small school district to a large district, what does implementation look like? And I'm like, ah, that is a loaded question because yeah. there is no one direct route. Now I can give you some key components. The reason I say this way is to come back. What you just did by utilizing the student voice and the adult voices in your district I created this whole process called differentiated discipline. All it really is, is it's differentiation. I just use the word discipline. So the reason I say this way is what you've done is you've taken step one for us, which is our needs map. Mm-hmm. And so our step one for our listeners, and so this to, to kind of introduce you to some of our practices, wait, step one is what do you need? So for example, if we were looking at a student, we would say, what does this student need in order to be successful in your classroom? So what's interesting, Wade, is when we ask that question under like a thought exchange, just under that prism, that lens, here's what's always interesting. It'll be Maslow's, non-Maslow's. It'll be a needs new mom, needs more attention, needs medication, needs a, t- needs a male role model, needs more structure, whatever it is, a love, affection, a hug. But what's interesting is, is that when we break this down in the segments, almost like you did, and we say, what do you, what does this student need? They start identifying, right, through this thought exchange. And we have four corners and we do four needs. It's written down, handwritten. And when we're in Zoom, they just put it in the chat. But here's what's funny. They all pick different students, Wade, and then they all throw out their answers. I need them to hear their answers because here's what's interesting. There are a lot of commonality, but here's the one thing that always happens when we do the needs map. Because unfortunately, we're usually talking about student behavior. It's really hard to just run away from that. So what's interesting is when I say the most, when you pick your most challenging student and you say, what does this student need more than anything else to be successful? Nobody, nobody, Wade, ever picks a traditional exclusionary consequence as a need. 
Yeah. And when I say that is you, you could see some like, wait a minute, was this some uh, Mr. Miyagi mind judo? And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, no. And I tell them, I said, but here's what's interesting. The students that you just picked probably receive more traditional consequences than anyone else on your campus. And I'm okay with that. I just need you to now digest. They don't need the consequence. What they need is this, 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 and this. And until those needs are met, they're going to have that deficiency and they're not going to be able to change your behavior because the needs gap is too big. So step one is needs, Wade. And you've you've, you've illustrated multiple times how we do needs, right? So check this last one out. Next one is outcomes. What are the behaviors you Mm -hmm. want? What what behaviors do you want to change, right? So what's interesting is, as we flip the needs map over, we got four corners again. We're like, well, what four behaviors do you want to change? And and if you say why four, it just, it fits in the nice corners and it's just somewhere some people say why four. So watch this. So then we say, well, what behaviors do you want to change? Well, I want them to stop learning out. I want them to get a class on time. I want them to be respectful, you know, whatever it is. And so some people say, well, should you determine the outcomes, the outcomes or the or the needs? I tell them it's like the chicken or the egg. For me, yeah. I, I learn needs first. So I go to needs first. One of my lead trainers, he does outcomes first and then he does needs. Either way, once you have needs and outcomes, think about your 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 all of your examples right now, Wade. Then what we have to do is now pick a strategy. Yeah. But the strategy, let me give you an example. Needs and outcomes are like dartboards. Strategies are your darts. Mm-hmm. How many times do we throw darts at no dartboards? Yeah. Perfect example. When, when you say, when you say here, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to dominate the conversation. Oh. I'm going to set it up and oh, then I'm going to throw it back at you. Yeah. My ex-wife was a, is an amazing educator. She was a principal, a, a, a 710 fifth and sixth graders. Second day of school, Wade, she come. I bring lunch. She's got a fight that just happened on the second day of school. And of course, nobody wants to fight on the second day of school, but she's in a non-title campus a helicopter parents, fights don't typically happen. So, you know, it's not the norm, right? So it really sets her off. So when I come in with lunch, I'm saying, hey, what happened? She's like, fight on the second day. I'm like, okay, as we're unpacking lunch in the conference room, she's like, so I'm like, so what did you do? Well, she tells me what happened. Then I, she said, I suspended their butts for two days. And then she looked at me directly and she says, please don't give me any of your restorative crap. That's exactly what she said. I said, okay. So what I said was, but what's interesting, it was hard for me to not go there because I had read this little book called the Restorative Justice Pocketbook. And what this little pocketbook had taught me was not the needs pieces, the strategies and outcomes. I said, well, I got a question for you then. What do you want as an outcome? And she mentioned like five things. I want them to know that there was an adult in the classroom and they didn't let the adult know. I want them to know that we learned to work out the differences here, that we don't fight, that I'm not going to change their schedules. They're going to have to learn to work out. So she just listed some things that she knows that she needs her students that are new to her campus, that she wants to, them to grow in this area. And these are the outcomes, right? So here's what I say while we're eating lunch. I said, so I got a question for you. Are they going to accomplish those five things while they're sitting at home for two days? See, Wade, you're already laughing, right? Yeah. Uh, Wade, Wade, how many times when I read this book and I watched, how many times I said, honey, you just threw your dart. She said, what do you mean? I said, you threw your dart like this, like this behind your bed. You threw your dart at no dartboard. She said, I don't understand. And I picked up a piece of paper and I kind of drew it out. And that's where I created our S and O model, strategies, needs, and outcomes. 
But yeah. what I try to show people, Wade, is you can take a lunch period, you can take summer school, you can take any problematic situation, a relationship, a struggling teacher, anything, and put it into a needs map and now or a snow model. You got to know what do you need. What are the outcomes that we're looking for and how do we get there? And as long as we put our dartboards up first, then we can start saying, well, oh, okay. So he needs a male role model. Well, who's going to, who's that going to be? I'm sorry. I was so excited about this conversation. Wade, is that when you said we asked the kids, Hey, we know the outcome is we need you guys to be successful in summer school, right? What, what do you, what do you need? What is it? What does summer school need? And then therefore you guys pick strategies working backwards based on the needs and outcomes of the students by using their voice. Sorry, but do, do you see the whole correlation oh, of how that? My gosh, out? yes, yes, yes. And, and I was sitting there thinking about that, that what if we had gone through that process and we knew the outcome we wanted, we got their needs and then we said, okay, so how are we going to get them to learn to read? That's what we do. Right. We solve a problem that's not the problem. We we throw our dart at something that's really not the problem. And 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 and, and or we don't even have a board to throw it at. We just throw the dart. And I agree with the the suspension piece because that's what we do. That's what we've always done. Yeah. And I, I agree with all of that. I mean, it's just you've got to figure out what are the strategies gonna what strategies do you need to get your outcome and accomplish what they need because it's what they need that's going to get you to the outcome. You're never going to get them there if you're not doing that. We had a situation uh, coming up to graduation and uh, uh, principal and I had a, a conversation about it and he said, well, here's what I think I'm going to do, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I said, I'll support you if that's what you want to do. I said, here's the only thing I'm going to ask you. Are they going to learn from that and he looked at me and he says, well, I may want to call him back in here and have another conversation with them. And I said, well, whatever you want to do. I said, I, I got you back. And it ended up in a very positive way where it could have ended up in a very negative way. But I think that the students, the parents, everybody learned a lesson from it. Uh, we thought about what's the outcome, what's the need, where are we going to get, what's the best strategy to get there. And uh, and so, yeah, I, th I think we do that. We talk all the time in our district about we'll sit down at the table and we'll start trying to solve the problem. We're actually not even solving the problem. We're just solving what 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 we've got in front of us right now. And, and then I say, OK, so is that the real problem? Is that what caused this to happen? So what what is the root cause of this? And so then we've got to go layer after layer. You know why we don't want to do that? That's hard work. Oh, that's hard. That's hard work. <laughs> that's hard work. And 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 it it actually causes us to reflect. It causes us to to evaluate ourselves and to look and say, have my my past practices been getting the outcomes that I want? And and typically we're gonna have, if we're being very honest, we have to say, no, it's not. And then we have to admit that we have to change. <laughs> And change is hard. Change is easy as long as I don't have to change, as long as Kevin has to change. It's great. I won't change if Kevin has to change. Now, if Wade has to change, mm, that's not a good thing. And so so I love that piece. I love what you're talking about. And we, we've got that. You know, some of the things that we've got planned coming up next year that we're going to use Thought Exchange for, two platforms that we're going to use. One, I'm going to do uh, a tour uh, probably three times, I think three times during the year 
maybe more, and go to each campus, and the exchange is going to look like this. What do you want to know? And I'm going to have my cabinet sitting with me. And what do you want to know? And they can put it in there. Whatever goes to top, we're going to have to answer it right there. And we're going to have to, we're going to be transparent. We're going to tell them exactly what they want to know. So they're going to tell us the topics that are big for them and not what's big for us, but what's big for them. And then the other platform is our goal is to have students running an exchange with students. And so there, there's a, there's some pieces in the exchange that allow you to filter some stuff. So if it's easy identifiable in their thought, like, like when we asked the kids at the high school, what could we do that would make summer so fun they couldn't stay away? Well, they actually told us some teachers that we needed to get rid of <laughs> because they weren't doing anything. Well, it captured those. It wouldn't let those out because it was easy identifiable. Correct. And then uh, it also will not let, uh, if you set the filter, it will not allow uh, curse words or uh, things of that that out right. and if one person tries to slam it with the same thought and keeps putting the same thought in to try to make that thought look like it's a dominant thought uh-huh. it will filter that also so it won't allow that out so one so no different than in in person it won't allow one person to dominate the conversation but we're going to have our, our goal is to have high school students middle school students running the exchange with students with some adult supervision where we're going to talk about equity and we're going to talk about those pieces in that platform. And I think that's fixing to be huge. It's, it's a risk. It's, it's, it's challenging. But uh, what I've told everybody is that when we do this with our students, there's teaching moments in these with our students. We had some students that uh, our ninth graders, particularly that put some stuff in there that really shouldn't have been in the exchange. And I could have got bent out of shape. Our high school principal was embarrassed. I said, listen, Scott, don't worry about it, man. They're kids. That's what they're going to do. Let's turn this into a teaching moment. And so when the exchange was over, after we talked about it with the kids, I sat down. I went back into coach mode and uh, we had a conversation about how to act and what you do. And then the next time this behavior wouldn't happen. And the high school principal, Scott, had a conversation with them and the kids received it well. They went, yes, sir, you're right. And, and so everything's a teaching moment then. And so I think we have to take risks. We have to do those things with our kids, but, but there's opportunities to learn from every one of them. I told you, Wade, I don't know how to duplicate you, your perspective. And one thing you just said to me stood out because I am very, very reflective. And one of the things that I think I struggled with, particularly with my last five years at the middle school, I always tell people I've been at all three levels you know, being an administrator and, and coaching and teaching. And, and what I tell them is, is like middle school was just my least favorite. But I, and I say this, and, and I can say this and own this now, I think middle school was my least favorite because I think I was the least effective at it. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. at the elementary, I was a rock star. It, it was, yeah. it was an easy environment to thrive. High school, it's interesting. You mentioned biology. I taught integrated physics, biology, and chemistry. Yeah. So for me, yeah. I was a science teacher. So for me, the high school was Definitely. A, a young adults was where I thrived in relationships and thought I'd be a youth pastor because of that. But when you just said, as a superintendent, you said, then I went into coach mode. And I think I struggled with middle school students because, you know, I always use this little quote says, I don't have a discipline plan. I use a care plan. I, I was under the impression before I went through this transformation, that 
the adults want you to do the discipline plan. They don't want you to do the care plan because I want you to think about this for an except you mentioned this earlier, you're able to go back into those AP roles, right? When you're hired as an AP, I guarantee you, nobody says, man, I hope our new assistant principal cares about kids. That's not what they, they say, Wade. <laughs> Come on. So you see what I'm saying? So my point is right then and there, our APs are screwed because their job yeah. is, I hope they could discipline. And, and, and the reason I say that is, is when we put this whole discipline bubble around that assistant principal role, you're only going to be seen and judged through that one lens. But yeah. what's interesting is, is when I was a teacher and I was a coach, my job was to love and care for kids unconditionally. When I became an assistant principal, it was, uh, we want you to love and care for them this much, but you better be ready to discipline all this. But then what's interesting, Wade, is go back to being a principal. You, and if you're not that sole disciplinarian, then we want you to love and care for kids unconditionally again. Do you, do you feel the transitions in that limbo? Well, yeah. This is what I heard when I went to the assistant principal role. And I talked to ours about the opposite of this. You got three things to do as an assistant buses, books, and butts. And that's it. That's all you got. That's and, it. And so I tell ours, it better not be buses, books, and butts. You better do a lot more than that. And you better be in PLCs. You better be coaching teachers. You better be doing this. And we even talk in our discipline about that consequence is going to be the very last thing we talk about. The first part is who owned it? What, it? what did you do? So I had a sheet that they filled out to explain what they what happened. What did you do? What did you own? And how can you change your behavior going forward? And typically they had to go back and do number two multiple times because they want to tell me who, who else owned it. You know, Kevin did this to me. Kevin did this. And I said, well, yeah, <laughs> Kevin did that. But what did you do? Because you did something. And, and so then they eventually got there. And so we, we try to train ours to talk through all of that. And then at the end say, okay, now I know how you're not going to do this again. Now we got to talk about consequences. And you said this earlier, that if we'll get the kids involved in this, man, it's going to be impactful. So I typically said, man, I, I, you know, I know you did this and, and you, you, you cussed in the classroom what do you think we ought to do about it? what's what's the consequence need to be for that? And they go, oh, I need to be an ISS for three days. And I said, well, OK, I wasn't because I had a discipline chart and I said, wasn't thinking that I was thinking that maybe after school detention. But, you know, OK, we'll go three days of ISS. Is that what you need? And they go, no, 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 coach, no, no, no. But but. Then they felt like they owned some of it. And, and we'd already worked through some processes before we ever got to the consequence. And then I think the other the cool part that we did was as an assistant principal, I'd say, or the principal of the one campus, I was the only person there. I said, okay, now we're going to call, tell your parents what you did. And I said, okay, uh, so I'm going to dial the number and then I'm going to hand you the phone and you're going to tell your mom what you said in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And they went, oh, I don't want to tell my mom. I said, yeah, I know. And I don't want you saying it in my classroom. But you said it in my classroom. So you're going to say it to your mom. And they get on the phone. They said, mom, I, I cussed in the classroom. I said, no, I'll tell her. I said, I'll tell her. <laughs> and then when they had to tell their mom that they dropped an elf bomb or something like that in the classroom, 
they typically pull the phone away from their ear. Mm -hmm. And then when I talked to the parent, the parent was going like, okay, whatever you need to do, Jane, you can do. Yeah. And and so I I talked to our, our, our people about who delivers the message. Let the student deliver the message for their their for their misbehavior. Don't be the one that delivers that message to them. But yeah, I think that um, you know, there's just so much that's tied up into all of that and trying to get the behavior change. You know. Yeah, but I also think you, you, you know what you are creating within your own leadership group is is, and I say this power and permission. I think sometimes it's inferred. What I what I continue to take away from our conversation is that I, I can't help but just see that if I was working with you, notice I just said with you, not for you. If I was working with you, Wade, because that's how you, I know, no, no, no. So I'm saying if I was working with you, Wade, in any capacity, from a bus driver to, to, to somebody on your A-team, and in between, what I what I continue to hear is, it's okay to take chances, right? It's expected to take chances. Yeah. It's okay to have conversations before consequences and it's expected. And so for me, the power and permission that you are providing for the staff in Westwood ISD is allowing them to take ownership. It's allowing them to say, when we have an exchange platform he really values and wants to hear from me because he's going to do something with it from the students to the staff. Because when they see, hey, we listened to you and look what we're providing in summer school. Hey, teachers, we heard you and you have my commitment that we are going to somehow make this pay raise happen to make you feel financially valued because that's what you need. By doing those pieces, Wade, all you've done is solidify the type of leader that I know I myself would love to work for. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, I, th- I, I just, I just think you build capacity when you do that. I think that, I think there's the permission piece. I think there's the power piece, you know, and I, and I, and I to tell our people, matter of fact, starting tomorrow, we're going to be interviewing uh, candidates for assistant superintendent curriculum and uh, instruction. And, and I'll, I've already visited with some of them via Zoom. And I said, here's the deal. I said, I want to hire rock stars and I want to get out of the way and I want you to do your job. And then you come and tell me what you need. And I said, and here's the deal in our district. There's one person that can say no, and that's me. I said, everybody else on the administrative team, your job is to break barriers down. Uh-huh. When teachers say, I need to do this and it's going to get this outcome then your job is yes. And you break the barriers down. I said, I get to say no. And I don't say no very much. Matter of fact, in five years, I've said no one time to one person when we needed to do something. We've gotten everything else done. But you know, that that piece about the struggle. I mean, I, I think one thing that we do so well in education in a negative manner is we don't allow people to talk about their struggles. Yes. We condemn them when they struggle. Yes, we we say, no, there, there can't be struggle. You, you can't do your job. And here's the reality. Every one of us struggles every single day. We're struggling every day. You've got something going on in your life today that you're thinking about. I've got something going on in my life today that I'm thinking about, but I'm walking around like nothing in the world is wrong. And we do that all day long. And everybody looks at everybody else and says, 
God, I must be the only one that's struggling because they're not struggling. Everybody else has got it made. And I must just suck as a teacher because that lesson I just got through doing flopped and everybody else act like everything's great. And, uh, and so I think we, we have to talk about that. And so we talk about that in our, like we have real authentic conversations about struggles. Like we name the struggle. We say, this is it. This fall, 38 years in this business, I had the worst day I've ever had. Worst day. And after that, I went to every PLC in our district. Every one took me forever, but I went to every single one of them and I sat and told them my story about my worst day. And I said, so what I'm telling you, you don't see me struggle. So what I'm telling you is we all struggle. Hmm. We all are getting there. And this environment we're in is going to take us down if we don't just own it and say, it's okay. It's okay that I'm not okay. Hmm. Man, you talk about tears. You talk about people sitting there going, oh my gosh, I've been struggling too. And I, I didn't know anybody else was struggling. And it, and, it, and it was good. It was just good. It was good for me. It was therapeutic for me. It was emotional. Just continue to tell the same story over and over. But it was good for our staff to say, it's okay to talk about struggling. Wow, man. There is so much that resonates out of you that I could sit here all day long and just pull pieces and threads and conversation pieces, Wade. But I do want to honor your time. And I, I can just tell you, ah, man, you have not, you've invigorated me today, but you've also stirred up a lot of thoughts and ideas. And you have definitely reshaped how I sit here today with my eyes closed and I perceive and how I envision what a superintendent should look like. Like I, I say this from my perspective if we could get more, and I'll just say school leaders, we'll leave it open-ended like that. If we could get more school leaders to just think, but not just think, but to also follow through and act in their own genuine, authentic ways that mirror some of the things that we talked about today, Wade, I guarantee you, we individually and combined collectively are going to leave a huge DNA imprint in education. So, sir, I thank you for your time. I thank you for your thoughts. I thank you for your wisdom. And I thank you for just being Wade, Wade the human being, and not mm -hmm. having a title get in the way between you and anyone else in your community, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for all of those. Man, I, I appreciate it. It was an honor to be here and, and know that I I don't have it all figured out. I got flaws, man. I, you know, I, I'm seriously, I, 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 I'm, I, you know, I'm not there, but it's been an honor to just share this time with you. I love your passion. I love your energy. I love what you're doing. We're going to, we're going to have a conversation later on offline about restorative practices. Sure. Um, and yeah. so I, I want to do that later on. Um, yeah. We talked about it yesterday evening before we left. And, and so, um, I don't know what that's going to end up looking like, but I, yeah. I definitely do that. Well, Wade, for our listeners, listen, I couldn't get enough of listening to Wade. I hope our listeners feel the exact same way from this. And I think I've used this quote before. Daring leaders from Brene Brown says, we're not trying to be right. Remember, 
We're trying to get it right. Hey, thanks for tuning in, everyone. And we hope to connect with you next time.